Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Flaming on the Aliens. I'm your host. And this week, I'm going to throw it back to some original creepy encounters and let's not meet stories just to get you in the mood for Halloween, which is very quickly approaching. And to mention Halloween, I am going to have a special Halloween episode released the day before Halloween. And it's going to be super creepy. So get excited. And with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. I have a phobia that goes by a few names. Scopophobia, ophthalmophobia, the fear of being watched. I have this weird compulsion whenever I see a doorway or window or virtually any surface that I believe somebody could hide behind. I imagine a face peering out at me, staring. I imagine what I would do. What could I do? You will soon find out why I have this phobia. On to the story. I'll try my best to remember all the details, but my mind has repressed a lot of it. Around June of 2016, my mother and I were living in a small apartment. There was no basement or attic, obviously, but there was one tiny crawl space in the closet floor of my bedroom. I never looked in it, I suppose some people would be overwhelmed with curiosity, but my mind had already imagined all of the worst scenarios. I decided to leave whatever dead bodies and ghosts were down there for whoever rented after us. It was a nice apartment, small but perfect for the two of us. We lived there for a few peaceful months until the noises started. It was nothing extreme, just the odd bump in the night and particularly scratching. My mom just brushed it off as rats in the walls. As long as they stayed in there, I saw no reason to get rid of them. A week or two later, I had already grown used to the noise. It became almost comforting in a way. After all, I never really liked silence. That is, until I awoke one night to a different noise. A rolling sound, eerily similar to the sound my closet made when I opened it. I peeked my eyes open and looked over, but I couldn't make out anything in the dark. I thought maybe I saw something move, but I was well aware of how the mind plays tricks on you in the dark, and there was only one way to find out. I turned on my lamp. I feel like crying just writing this out. It's been almost a year since I've had to recall this night. When I turned on the light, I expected to just see a closet full of coats, but what I saw was much, much worse. It was an eye. Not just an eye, but the entire half of somebody's face, barely visible in the tiny crack he had opened. He didn't even react to being caught. No smile, no fear, just watching. My heart has never beat faster than that night. 
I wish I screamed or maced him or anything, but I just stared back, frozen in time until I couldn't hold it in anymore. I began sobbing loudly. I think I tried to say something along the lines of, what do you want? But it was garbled by my crying. He opened the door more. I could now see his entire body, which I don't care to describe as I've spent two long years trying to forget that face. I lost my breath at that. Hearing him made it real. I couldn't pretend this was some fucked up hallucination anymore. At this, I sat up and pressed my back against the wall. It's okay. He said it so cheerfully, it gives me chills just remembering it. This is when I finally had the courage to run out of the room. This creep had said my name. He knew my name, my fucking name. My mom, still half asleep while she called the police, thought I had imagined it. Of course, by the time the police got there, he was already long gone. All that was left of him was that damn crawl space. I still never looked inside, though writing this now, I kind of wish I did. Having some sort of proof of this would, I don't know, comfort me because at least you all would know I'm not crazy. Apparently, he'd been living in there for how long, I don't know. But the officers who first arrived on the scene said that there were tally marks inside the crawl space. I don't want to know how many. I don't want to know whether he was marking days or weeks. I just wanted to leave that fucking apartment. And we did. The police never found him. Not for certain. They thought they found a homeless man who matched his description, but he was apparently unresponsive. I've always thought that they didn't take it all that seriously. I mean, they just thought he was a squatter, even after I told them and he knew my name. They thought that given how long he'd seemingly been squatting, he'd probably just heard my name through the floorboards. Since that night, he has been the face I always see when there's an open door or closet. It's grown more distorted as time goes on, but I can always make out a part of his pursed lips as if he's still shushing me, even now. It's gotten easier with time, but I don't think it will ever leave me completely. Anyways, I guess we didn't actually have rats. When I was 19, I casually dated this guy, Casey, that I met through a mutual friend. We hit it off at first, and we met and hung out for hours. He was incredibly charming, and we had a lot in common, but definitely had an off vibe. The day after we hung out, my friend texted me not to get too involved with him because he was kind of a psycho. I ignored his warning, which is something I regret to this day. He wouldn't elaborate, so I shrugged it off as possibly nothing that extreme or he'd tell me. Casey and I were by no means serious. He said he planned on seeing other girls and didn't even want to call me his girlfriend. I appreciated his straightforwardness, though my feelings were very hurt by this. I told myself that maybe as we got closer, he would change his mind. As I spent more time with him, I began to see what my friend was talking about. 
He had serious anger issues and would do things like throw plates against the wall if something wasn't fully cooked in the microwave and casually talk about on bad days how he sometimes fantasized about going on a shooting spree if he could get away with it. I finally broke up with him after he told me in a rage that he wished he could shove a fire poker down the neighbor's dog's throat so it couldn't bark anymore. Altogether, our fling lasted less than five months. He kept trying to convince me to date him again in the following months, and I obviously kept telling him no. I eventually started dating my now husband. Casey made one last attempt to get me back by showing up at my apartment, tell me that he was in love with me, and if he couldn't have me, then life was not worth living. He said if I didn't let him in and try to work it out, he would shoot himself in the head. Since he had a gun, I was terrified he would actually do it. I had no idea how to handle this situation, so I let him inside with the intention of keeping him as calm as I could and texting one of his friends to come and get him and help him. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what happened next, but he kept trying to kiss me, and when I made it clear we weren't going to be intimate, he beat the shit out of me. Then he left and just left me bleeding and crying on the ground. I didn't tell my then-boyfriend about it because I didn't want him to have any altercation with him. I just made up excuses to why I couldn't see him for weeks until all my marks healed. I told my coworkers I was in a bike crash. I could tell no one really believed that. Casey texted me apologizing. He said he just loved me so much that he snapped because he needed me so bad. He tried to frame his violence as some kind of fucked up romantic gesture. I told him to never come near me again and threatened to call the cops. I was scared shitless for over a year that he would come back and attack me or kill me, but I didn't hear from him again. Fast forward six years later. At this point, my husband and I were married and just got our first kid. She was five and we were fostering her with the intention of adoption. We lived in a new state, several hours away. Casey somehow found out I had a daughter. He messaged me on Facebook saying he knows I have a daughter and that she must be his. I tried to explain that she wasn't even my biological child, but he insisted I was lying and that she looked exactly like him. She looks nothing like him at all. He's white and has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she's fucking Hispanic. I told him he was crazy, blocked him, and deleted all photos of her from my Facebook. I still have no clue how he even saw them since my account is completely private. I even double-checked my settings to make sure. Another few weeks go by without contact, and I feel confident that's the last I'll hear from him. Wrong. He shows up at the house begging to talk. He looks like shit and clearly developed a serious drug habit over the years, far beyond Swede. He was pale as fuck, had dark rings around his eyes, it's all shaky, and looked like he lost at least 20 pounds. My husband wasn't there, so I was pretty terrified. He asked, can I please just meet her? I once again emphasized she's not my biological child and told him he really needed to stay away from my family or I would call the police. He then 
went on a whole unhinged tangent about how we belong together and it wasn't fair for me to keep pushing him and punishing him and all this stuff for not realizing that sooner. He went on about how after he found out about her, God told him while he was on meth that he needed to quit everything and get clean so that he could just be with me and raise his daughter. I just closed the door in his face and yelled at him to leave or I would call the cops. He shouted back that I couldn't keep him away from his child forever. I called the police and they filed a report, but they told me there's nothing they could do unless he threatens or harms one of us. About three months later, my daughter doesn't come home on the bus. I call the school and they say she was picked up by her dad. As you can imagine, the next few hours were complete and total hell on earth. My husband came home from work early and we had to wait at the house with a cop and a detective and Casey took her home while other cops searched for them. The detective told me that from everything I told him, he didn't think he was at risk of harming her or fleeing with her. Luckily, he was right. They were found at McDonald's and he was arrested while my daughter was taken to the hospital. Thankfully, she wasn't harmed physically at all and he was apparently really nice to her. Although it was incredibly awkward to have to explain to a five-year-old why this strange man was telling her he's her dad. The prosecution was insanely lenient on him due to his mental health issues and drug problem, coupled with the fact that he didn't harm her. They ended up dropping all the serious charges like kidnapping a minor and sentenced him to stay in a state hospital until he was deemed healthy enough to be let out, which ended up being only four months. They granted us a restraining order that lasted two years, which I was incredibly disappointed about as I wanted a lifelong one. But we were assured if he contacted us, any of us again, we would no doubt be able to get another one. It is four years later and we have not heard from him since. My daughter wasn't traumatized or anything. She just sees it as a strange experience she had. I still have intense anxiety every time the doorbell rings. My husband bought a shotgun immediately after this went down. I've heard through the grapevine that Casey has been mostly clean besides being an alcoholic. I mean, it's an upgrade for meth at least and seems to be less batshit insane. That's nice, but I really hope I never, ever see that man for the rest of my life. This is my first post, so I'll do the best I can to make this interesting. This happened to me in the summer of 2015. I was dating a guy who lived in the city and I was living at home at the time in the suburbs. Neither of us had a car, and since I lived at home with my bedroom right next to my grandma's, I always went to him. I take the subway to his place every week and stay for a couple of days I had off from work. To get to his apartment required taking two trains. One day, I was headed to see him. It was super hot out, and I was wearing a skirt with straps, a crop top, and knee-high socks. Hey, I wanted to look cute. I guess I feel this is important as I probably stood out in this outfit and unfortunately, I probably should have been more careful about what I was wearing, which sucks. Anyway, 
I'm on the first train, and after a few stops, I notice a man get on. I kind of couldn't not notice him as he chose to stand right in front of me where I was sitting and stare at me, rather than take an empty seat. It made me feel weird. The man in general gave me a very creepy vibe. He was probably in his 40s, looked unkempt, but otherwise just kind of basic-looking white dude whose face I can't even picture now. So I get off at the last stop and head through the station to where I need to catch the second train, but I notice this guy is following me, which at first I figured wasn't a big deal, and he could have just been going to the same place. So to get to the platform I needed to be, you have to go up some stairs, and I realize he's right behind me. I decided to turn around and go to a different platform, which happened to be packed with people, thinking if he follows me, this is bad, but maybe I can lose him in the crowd. He follows me, and I try to duck out of view before going back to the actual platform I needed to be waiting on. I get there, and for a few minutes, I feel better, until I see him again. He must have known I'd be there after I'd gone up there and then turned around. Plus, it was the only other platform, and most likely he saw me the whole time. There weren't too many people waiting compared to the other side, but a few trains came that were so full I didn't even bother to try to get on, and neither did he. The whole time, I'm texting my boyfriend, who was not taking me seriously at all. I asked he at least meet me at the station when I got to the stop by his apartment, a five-minute walk, and he was being reluctant but agreed, finally. At this point, though, I'm still waiting for a train. One comes that's very full, but I'm getting restless and want to get a safe place, so I squeeze on, and so does the man, right next to me with his arm over me. I decide that even with all these people around, I'm not safe. So right before the doors close, I hop out and the train leaves with the guy on it staring at me as it pulls away. I waited for a few more trains to come and go, worried the guy would be waiting for me at the next stop or something. I got on a train finally, paying attention to everyone who got on at each stop. He never did. And I made it to my stop, greeted by my boyfriend, who seemed put out by having to walk over. He's an ex-boyfriend and was generally kind of shitty. I'm really proud of myself for getting off that train at the last second. I don't know how much danger I was in, but I know that man was following me. And definitely it wasn't for any wholesome reason. And despite being in public, I feel like if he had tried anything, no one would have done shit. And I am very small and not a strong person. I could have been one of Epstein's victims. I was watching the Jeffrey Epstein doc on Netflix last night, and I am spooked literally had a mini panic attack with all these memories flooding in. As I'm laying in my bed watching, a girl's face flashes across the screen and I recognize one of his victims as one of my really good childhood friends. I don't know if this story belongs in this subreddit, but here is my story. I've lived in South Florida almost all my life, 
with my crazy controlling parents that wouldn't let me do anything as a kid. No phone calls to friends, no extracurricular activities unless it was academic. Couldn't have friends over and you can forget about me going over to anyone's house. Plus, my dad worked at my school during my elementary school year, so I had to be on my best behavior. So when I went to middle school, I was so fucking pumped. Finally, some type of freedom. My personality started to shine and making friends came easy to me. Fast forward to a year in and I had become really good friends with these two girls. We can call them Heather and Sharon. They were both pretty, popular, friendly, but what fascinated me most was that Heather was the only girl in middle school that I knew that was able to sleep over at a boy's house. It was something so foreign to me since my parents told me that I couldn't even go on a date with a boy until after I graduated high school or college. They didn't specify. So I automatically thought she was the coolest chick I'd ever met. Throughout our friendship, we were known as the tripod. We had all the same classes and lunch periods, so we all got pretty close. Over time, Heather would always ask me to hang out with her and Sharon, either after school or on the weekends, but with my parents, there was no way in hell. I did attempt multiple times to ask for permission with no success each time, not even a maybe. I was so bummed because I always felt left out after having Heather and Sharon hang out without me, something I would eventually become grateful for. One day, while sitting out in the courtyard for lunch, Heather pulled me aside and asked what I thought about skipping school for one day. I instantly freaked and thought about that automated message the school calls home with to let your parents know that you aren't at school. If my parents ever got that, my ass would be toast. So I shut that idea down right away, kind of laughed it off because there would be no way to pull it off. But she literally would not stop asking So eventually, she convinced me, and we were ready to start the planning. It took us about a week every day during lunch trying to figure out how to pull this off. The thrill of it had me so excited as I'd never done anything like this. The plan was to have my mom drop me off at school as usual and have the girls there waiting for me, and we would simply just walk off to the gas station that's near the school and have one of Heather's friends pick us up. Not sure how I planned on dodging the school call, but whatever. Oh, and I forgot to add, Heather made it a point several times to remind me that I needed to wear something that would give me an innocent look. I blew this off because I was already 13 years old. I looked innocent enough. Plan goes smoothly and we're walking to the gas station, but as we're walking, Heather's cell phone is blowing up like constant phone calls and texts coming through. Each one she answers, just meet us at the gas station like we usually do. At this point, I'm confused because I thought it was supposed to be the tripod hanging out for the day. As we get closer to the gas station, I see a group of like seven other girls standing there and they're around my same age range, 12 to 14 years old. Some girls I've seen around school, others I don't recognize, but they all perk up when they see Heather walk up. All of a sudden, Heather yells, who's ready to make some money? And almost all the girls raise their hand and start cheering. 
I grabbed Sharon and asked her what the hell she's talking about. And the look that Sharon gave me is one I'll never forget. It was like she was saying, get out while you can. It just made me very uncomfortable and she never ended up saying anything. It was just weird. A big group of young girls who should be in school just hanging out at a gas station. As we're standing there, two black Lincoln Town cars pull up and make a sudden stop right in front of us. Heather starts numbering the girls and tells the first group to get in the first car. And as they do, the car speeds away. The other one slowly rolls the window down and I see this older man with sunglasses on just sitting there smiling. He asked if we're ready to go to the mansion, which excites the two other girls standing behind me. He opens the door and they both jump in, followed by Sharon. Heather is standing next to me and nudges me to go on, but as she does, I start going off on her, asking her what the hell is going on? Where are we going? Who is this man? And why didn't she mention any of this before in her plans? She's looking almost annoyed and says, out of all the girls I bring, you're the only one that's giving me a problem. I thought you would want to get out and finally have some fun. And with your body, you could make a killing. At the time, I was so naive. I didn't know exactly what she meant by the tone of her voice and, I mean, how she pressured me, how she was making me feel. I ended up backing out and ran back to school. As embarrassed as I felt for bailing on my friends, I feared my mom and her belt a lot more. Plus, going off in a car with someone I'd never met screamed stranger danger. I'm so grateful that my parents put the fear in me or else I don't know if I would have made that smart decision. After that, I barely hung out with Heather again. She tried a few more times, but I just got bad vibes from her and cut her off. But I always saw her randomly walk out of school towards the gas station, always with a group of girls. Sharon, on the other hand, she started to spiral into depression slowly. She would only hang out with Heather and would cling to her like a lost puppy. I noticed she would miss school more frequently until one day she just stopped coming altogether. Years later, I found out she committed suicide. And recently, after watching the doc, I'm convinced she was one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims and Heather was one of his recruiters. Edit. Should have mentioned this happened in 2004 in West Palm Beach. I reached out to the only childhood friend I stay in contact with and she confirmed that it was in fact my friend whom we went to middle school with in that documentary. Since this morning, I've contacted a friend who's in law enforcement to see if I could speak with someone about what I knew. Even the little information I could have could help out in some way. As for Sharon, I never met anyone in her family or had any contact as I was on major lockdown back then and this was 16 years ago. Still trying to track them down to see if they knew about any of this. It could help explain why she might have taken her life. I'll keep you updated. My story involves myself and three of my really good friends throughout my whole childhood. We'll have them go by Kevin, Ryan, and Tommy. 
whom I'm good friends with to this day. I couldn't write this story to you without their help, consent, and experiences as well. The story you're about to read is true and not made up in any way. Regardless whether we had been saying things or not, the reality is we had experienced something very horrifying one night at my friend Kevin's cabin. We thought long and hard about actually sharing it or not, afraid of being ridiculed, but we're ready to share this with the community. And again, you had to be there to experience it. One of my friends had actually suffered a nervous breakdown after the incident and needed counseling in itself. Regardless, I would like you to know, I also have always been a skeptic on the paranormal and find it very hard to believe in many aspects. But I love to watch, listen, and read on it simply because I always love to have an open mind in life. An open mind, in my opinion, is a growing one. Whether it was paranormal or not, something or someone was clearly there that night. Now, finally, on with the story. During the midsummer, usually around the middle of July, me and a couple of my good friends who I had mentioned all the way through my childhood always made time to go up to one of my friend's family cabins way up north in the forest of Minnesota, cabin located on Vermilion Lake. Throughout all of our young years, we would always go for sure accompanied by my friend's dad, Kevin's dad, who owned the cabin and sometimes a few of our dads as well. Once we were juniors in high school, we felt mature and old enough to go to the cabin on our own, finally, without Kevin's dad or any other adult supervision that may have accompanied us. I would like to mention a little information in regards to my friend's cabin to help you picture the scenario. My friend's cabin is very remote and very little based upon a very large sized island. Other cabins were on the island, but the next one closest to us was a solid quarter or half a mile away at least which is my best guess, which you could get to by taking a man-made path around the island. And I want to mention that to get to my friend's cabin, he had to park on a gravel road on the opposite side of the island as his cabin was on an island and take his boat across the lake about a half mile to reach the cabin. And this lake is huge. My mind always has a tendency to run around when sleeping there at night throughout all of my years for It was all one level with only two bedrooms next to one another, a kitchen living room connected and a bathroom in the back of the cabin. And where you slept in the cabin was there always at least one window in each room with no curtain to it at all. So it was very easy to see outside of the woods and lake. And this is where my mind would run as I always thought someone was peering in. Of course, nobody ever was. I had been to this cabin a dozen times throughout my lifespan and nothing had ever happened. And the older I got, the easier it was to sleep. Now for the event. We usually would stay a week's worth or four or five nights. On the third night during the trip, when we were there on our own finally, we had set a campfire and had been drinking beer all night. I don't condone underage drinking by the way, but we just happened to sneak some being the rebels we are. We went out to his dock to gaze up at the magnificent of the stars and enjoy our buzz when all of a sudden we heard something out at the water that sounded like a fish jumping out to catch a bug. We quickly looked out of the lake with curiosity, wondering where the splash came from, having our poles ready 24-7. And thankfully, the moon was out that night, which helped light up the lake. 
Otherwise, it would be dark as black with there being no city lights for miles upon miles. And we would not have been able to see anything on the lake. My one friend, Ryan, began to point out saying, uh, what the hell is that? After looking closely and finally spotting what he was pointing at, all I can describe is it simply looks like a head out in the middle of the lake, just floating about, staring at us directly. It was about three quarters worth of a football field length out in the lake from the dock. There is no question that I could see its features. It had long black hair and very palish skin like a face, but couldn't quite make out the eyes, mouth, nose, or chin, as if it was just a blob of pale skin with long black hair over it. I'll never forget the feeling that came over me. The hairs on my legs, neck, arm, all stood up, and I was paralyzed on the inside, ready to leave that moment. But we told ourselves it was just a loon, as these birds are very popular night drifters on the lake and do their hunting late, and also have black with white colors on their coats and hunt by diving deep into the water, holding their breath up to minutes sometimes. So it was possible that a loon all of a sudden popped up in the water after hunting a bit, or at least we tried to talk ourselves into that scenario. All of us having the creeps and noticing it wasn't moving one bit, just treading water in its same place, went back to our campfire, lit it even brighter, and headed inside to drink more. I would like to mention that there was a staircase outside my friend's cabin about eight stairs and linked down to the bottom where the fire pit was and the dock. We soon forgot about the head with the help of beer until I had to use the bathroom really bad and the one inside was preoccupied. I just went outside to do my business since we were in the great outdoors. When I had been taking a pee and glancing out at the beautiful moon in the lake, I noticed that the black circle object was still there, but about 30 yards closer now, still looking as if it was staring right at me. I could easily see the nose on this thing's face. Again, it was very pale, like it hadn't seen the sun for years. And a very, very uneasy feeling came over me. And I immediately went inside and told my friends to come look quick, keeping my eyes glued to it at the door of the cabin. We came outside to see it still there, looking at us as if this head was corked up at us with this chin in the air. Nobody dared to go down to the dock anymore and we immediately went back inside, ruling out that it probably wasn't a loon because a loon wouldn't have tread the water in the same spot. Eventually the current would have drifted it somewhere else in a rocking manner. For a loon to stay in the same spot for almost an hour or two made no sense to any of us. This head-like object was stiff as a board and not moving a single muscle, just staring up at us from the deck instead. There was no ripple effect at all in the lake from the object. We said it was just a log and went back in. And I could tell everyone else felt uneasy too. A few hours would pass. It was super late into the night at this point and we knew we needed sleep. Being my curious self, I looked back outside once more and the black object had completely vanished. I couldn't help but feel a sense of relief thinking the log must have floated off or just hit the shore somewhere. As we slept with the windows open that night, there was no AC in the cabin and we had to open them or we would fry in his cabin with it being the middle of summer. Me and my other buddy, Tommy, 
slept in the living room while my other two friends slept in the two separate bedrooms with their doors open. Not being able to sleep, but keeping my eyes peeled shut, I began to hear someone walking around at the bottom of the stairs to the cabin, around the campfire and at the bottom of the deck stairs. I thought I was about to shit bricks. No question what or whoever I heard down there. They were at the dock now, pacing back and forth as it made the sound of a boot clicking on the wood. It was as if they weren't sure what to do with themselves. It lasted for about three minutes. Wanting to whisper to my buddy, but frozen in fear, I just kept my eyes shut and ears on full alert. The footsteps sounded like they took two steps up the deck stairs all of a sudden, but then turned around and sounded like they were sprinting out down the man-made path. After it sounded like the steps were long gone and a couple of minutes had passed, I woke up Tommy asking if he heard the steps. Both of us sitting up, I was startled to my friend Ryan walking out of his room and saying, we need to leave a minute after these steps vanished. He must have heard us talking, so felt he could come out as well. But either way, he was waking up regardless. Something was very disturbing about his expression and I asked him, why? He woke my other friend Kevin in his room and said, let's go, get to the boat, it's time to go. Asking him, what, what, Ryan, what the hell is wrong with you? He explained to us quickly while grabbing his stuff and I will never forget what he explained as with my other friends. He said when he was turning sides on his bed to get more comfortable, he saw someone peeking in the top right corner of his window and it quickly shifted out of his view. He said that all he saw was one eye, ghostly white skin and black hair long down the window. Again, another thing I would like to add, when we look back at what we experienced, it chills us to the bone, realizing that since this face was in the top right corner of the window in my friend's room that he was sleeping in, this thing either was a damn near eight feet tall, standing on something like bricks trying to peek in, or was floating. Ryan then continued to say, let's fucking go, very seriously. Absolutely disturbed the fuck out of my mind and feeling like I'm about to be sick and then telling them what my friend and I heard in the living room, we all agreed and packed our stuff and booked it, not cleaning the cabin or anything. We always had to clean the cabin before leaving. We locked up and as we headed down the stairs, we saw barefoot prints in the dirt heading off into the path and all around the cabin. We picked up our step, getting to the boat, not knowing what was watching or around us, threw our stuff on the boat, untied it and sped off. I didn't even think about the head in the water anymore or to look in the water, thank God. My eyes were just glued to the island, trying to spot anything moving, but I saw nothing. When we had finally gotten our stuff packed in the car and boat tied up, we hopped in the car and took off. We'd been driving about 10 miles and out of the blue, Ryan, who said he saw the person outside his window, all of a sudden broke down in the car, sobbing, saying, what was it guys? What the fuck did I see? We called to tell our parents what had happened on the way back and that Ryan was freaking out and they told us to just get home safely and quickly. It was late, about four or five in the morning, but no one slept and it was a very quiet ride home. 
My friend's dad, who owns the cabin, went up that following weekend and said he experienced nothing while there, but did mention bare footprints were still lingering about, which he thought was odd because someone was walking around his property, which bugged him badly. Whatever my one friend saw in the window really hit him hard. After his breakdown, he had trouble sleeping multiple nights and ended up having to seek some help for a couple weeks and hop on some sleeping medicine. As time went on, he ended up being fine, but insisted to comfortable sleeping next to a window with a curtain. I, to this day, cannot explain what happened to us and why it seemed to happen to us and cannot explain what I saw in the lake and what Ryan specifically saw. Nothing has ever happened at that cabin since that night. So we're told from my friend's dad who owns it, which I believe him. I personally have never decided to go back to that cabin, which really makes me sad because I had great childhood memories there. Tommy and Kevin both have gone back and been fine, but Ryan refuses to go back and I'm with him. A lot of people have cabins on this island, so it could have been a prank in the makings that had been busted when Ryan saw the person at the window or the person possibly wanted to do something worse. I'll never be able to explain what was floating in the lake. But the fact that this incident along with bare feet and someone looking in at Ryan at night all happened in the same night seems like more than a coincidence. This happened around two years ago. I was around 15 or 16 years old my family was on the way to Mexico. The main point of going was for my grandfather to meet my little brother, who was about seven at the time. Some background, for those who don't know the roads in Mexico, once you cross the border of Laredo, Texas, you either take the freeway or the toll road. The freeway is a fast pass to getting thrown off the road and off a mountain, quite literally. The road isn't wide, big trucks hardly fit in their own lane, as if they respect the yellow line in the middle. Toll roads are supposed to be the safer alternative. You pay a certain fee depending on your vehicle at different spots and there's supposed to be a federal policeman along the highway. Anyways, about four hours before we got to my dad's hometown, we approached a bridge with a lot of traffic, which was odd since the rest of the road hadn't been so clustered. Being from the US, we found it odd that some vehicles were driving over the white line on the right side of each lane in the shoulder. My dad, the driver, assumed it was to give access to passing. Keep in mind that we had never driven to Mexico alone, and it had been over eight years since we were last there. So there was an 18-wheeler, or should I say a 26-wheeler, in front of us. It was like those FedEx trucks that two short trailers at once, but this one was pulling three normal-sized ones. It was moving so slow, being the calls of the traffic in the right lane. Since he was driving on the shoulder, my dad decided to pass him, still able to do it without crossing the yellow line into other oncoming traffic. We noticed that other cars weren't doing the same, which we didn't think much about. After a while, I looked back out the back window, trying to take a picture of the sunset. And when I did this, I saw the same truck coming at us in full speed. I froze in fear as I saw the gigantic, 
thing coming at our truck. My brothers noticed that I was staring out the window and looked back. My younger brother, 13 at the time, yelled to my dad that he needed to move. As if things couldn't get worse, there was a traffic jam in the oncoming lane, so there was no way of passing the vehicle in front of us. My mom began to panic. Her then undiagnosed anxiety was getting to her and she was constantly turning in her seat, yelling to my dad that the truck didn't seem to be slowing down. My dad managed to calm her and we refused to look back to build onto the anxiety. About three minutes later, my seven-year-old brother looked back and said the truck was tailgating us. The truck was flashing his brights at us, the driver's arm out the window, shooting us the middle finger and motioning for us to pull over. As if a miracle, traffic was clearing out in an exit and my dad managed to leave the truck behind. Around 30 to 40 minutes later, the same truck came flying past us, passing us as we were going uphill. He blared his horn and pulled into the correct lane again as a tiny white car came over the steep hill. To this day, I get chills thinking about what would have happened if my dad had pulled over. Mexico is not a safe place. If you plan on traveling there, please be careful and always look at your surroundings. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope it got you in the mood for Halloween. And like I said, I do have a special Halloween episode coming out the night before Halloween and it's going to be a good one. So definitely go ahead and hit the notification bell, subscribe, and make sure you're getting updates about my newly released episodes so that you don't miss anything. And if you have not already rated me five stars wherever you're listening, definitely please do that. It means a lot and makes a huge difference. If you would like to send in your own stories, you can email them to blameitonthealiens1 at gmail.com or click the link in the description to send in a voice message. And I would love to have you on the show. And I actually am on Instagram now. So I want to hear from you guys. I want you to follow me at Blame It on the Aliens podcast on Instagram. DM me. I promise to read all of them. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your favorite stories, um, upcoming episode ideas or themes that you may want to hear. Everything. Definitely want to hear from you guys. So give me a follow on Instagram and DM me. And I'll be back for Halloween for some more creepy stories. Thank you.